Thank you, Marley. Well, here's a conviction that I have and a reality that I see, and that is this, that every person who is a follower of Jesus carries a particular and a very personal cross. In other words, that there's a cost of discipleship, just like was read in the text that we just heard from. There's a cost of discipleship for every person, and it looks and feels different for everyone. And if you have been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you already know what I'm speaking of. You've already felt it in some way. You've uh, lived it in your life. You've felt at times the weight of it, but also you've felt at times the joy of it. Uh, and oftentimes when we look at other people, we have a, maybe a difficult time seeing it in the same way. We feel it in our own lives, but we can't necessarily see it in the lives of others because for some reason it seems like their path of discipleship seems somewhat easier or a little bit more uh, joyful or, or fun maybe than what God has called you to walk. But don't be deceived. Um, it's likely not any easier. It's just different. And as I have gotten older and as I've been a follower of Christ longer and as I've walked together with others on this journey of faith, uh, hearing their stories, seeing their experiences, uh, as well as experiencing my own struggles, my own challenges, my own disillusionment at times, as well as for those around me that I love, I've come to the conclusion that no one escapes it. No one escapes it. And why, why would we think so? When we read in Scripture how Jesus calls us to this cost of discipleship, and when we are called in discipleship to follow the Master, Jesus, and we might ask the question, well, what was the cost of obedience for him? And it led him faithfully and humbly to the cross. And so then we ask in discipleship, if we are to be a follower of him, what does that then require of us? And the answer is it requires everything. And so as we continue in this Easter season, as we've been talking about, that we have just come uh, through the high point and the central aspect and the central truth of our Christian faith and what the gospel is all about, about the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the one who overwhelmed the grave and conquered death and the evil one. And we can now live in freedom because of that, the resurrection of Jesus. But now we are in this season where it seems like we return to everyday life. And the Easter season is this time between Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and Pentecost. And it's this window of time where we remember and we celebrate the resurrection hope that we have and the reality of his Holy Spirit alive and at work within us. And so not only do we return, though, to everyday life, but now we also want to return back to Matthew's gospel story and, and circle back uh, to chapters 8 and following from the chapters that follow the Sermon on the Mount that we were in a number of weeks ago. And here Jesus is continuing to challenge his disciples of what it means to live in everyday life, but what it means to live differently in terms of into this kingdom culture. But here's the thing I want you to think about. We actually have an advantage. We have an advantage to those that we read in these pages that is recorded in Matthew's gospel here as this part of God's story. Because even for these disciples, even though they had Jesus physically present with them, we now live on the other side of the resurrection. We actually live now looking back to this time and back to these texts and to see now through the lens of the resurrection. And we know what those disciples didn't know at the time. Jesus was trying to tell them and trying to prepare them, but they didn't know and they hadn't yet experienced this resurrection of Jesus. And we have that vantage point. All they could see was what was right in front of them. 
And yet we have the advantage of looking back over 2,000 years of the empty tomb and 2,000 years of the relentless, unstoppable movement of the church by the power of his spirit. And it's been a faltering one at times for sure, and it's been a messy one at times for sure, but it has been an unstoppable force as God has set in motion the people of God with the Spirit of God to engage the kingdom of God. And you know, we love mountaintop experiences, don't we? We, we love to see things from a high vista and when things are going well. We also often love stories that have closure and that have some kind of completion to them and are kind of tied up and nicely packaged by the end of the story. But the reality is, is that we don't live most of our lives there. We live most of our lives actually in the valley. And we live much of our lives with a lot of loose ends and a lot of frayed things in our lives that are messy and sometimes painful realities. And this is where the implications of the resurrection become even more important and so needed. And so we see a couple of things happening here in this section of Scripture following the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is now teaching a variety of things of how to now live into this kingdom that he so powerfully described. And Matthew here is wanting to to present about Jesus' life and ministry a couple of things here at least. The authority of Jesus and the cost of discipleship. And last week Don talked about the authority of Jesus in every area of kingdom life. Over the physical realm, over the spiritual realm, over our sins, but that Jesus has authority. And today we want to talk about the cost of discipleship. And I really believe that they go hand in hand. Because you won't actually embrace in any way the cost of discipleship unless you really understand and embrace the authority of Jesus. And so it's once we understand who Jesus is and what he has done and the power of the resurrection and the reality of his Holy Spirit in our lives that we can actually begin to embrace and walk in the cost of discipleship that he calls us to. Because that is an appropriate response when we see Jesus' authority and what he's done for us is to engage in his mission in the world at whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. But it's worth everything. And that's part of what this kingdom culture is about, is helping us to see, even at times, just glimpses of what that looks like and what Jesus has in store for us. I think for each one of us, there are different times in our lives when we declare things, when we have declarations or we need to make certain decisions and we, we have to take a stand, even as that song that we just sang earlier in the service. And there are times in our lives when we declare things and they, in some way, indicate our desire to follow Jesus in one aspect or, of our life or another. And these are good things. These are good things to do. They come in big and small packages or big and small ways or declarations. Maybe it's that we've been confronted with something that is an opportunity or something that comes to us that we need to respond to. Or maybe uh, we are, are seeing, maybe for the first time, just the overwhelming love of the Heavenly Father. And, and it just finally gets through to us in a way that causes us to respond. Or maybe it's the conviction of a tenacious sin in our lives that needs to be addressed. Or maybe it's something that God is asking us to give up in order to actually spend more time with him and to engage more in what he has for us instead of these things that distract us and distort our lives. But whatever it is, maybe there are times when we just have to declare something. He's just calling us to follow him more clearly and we see it. And so out of the good intentions of our heart, we want to just declare that that we want to make these promises to God and we want to walk in obedience in that way. And I think of uh, the author of Ecclesiastes who reminds us of some things. And 
He says this, don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth, so let your words be few. And when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. It's better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. In our text today, in Matthew chapter 8, and I'd ask you to turn there, starting in verse 18, we, we see that after Jesus has begun to show his authority and what this kingdom reality looked like, that people started to respond. People started to declare. People started to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm with you. And it happened in all kinds of different ways. And here in our text today, we see somebody who is making a declaration. It's, it's quite a startling one when you actually think about who this person is. So in verse 18, it says, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. And then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. It's interesting. Jesus' response He's just instructed his disciples to get into a boat and go to the other side of the lake, and then it's like he's interrupted. It's like this teacher of the law, I don't know, pushes through the crowds or something, but he wants to get Jesus' attention, and he wants to declare something to Jesus. And he says, teacher, in fact, this teacher of the law says to Jesus, he recognizes him as a teacher, and he says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And it's, it's interesting, it's fascinating, it's actually startling that this kind of person would actually come to Jesus and say something like that. It's remarkable. I mean, these were people who, in many ways, Jesus spoke very harshly to, even in the Sermon on the Mountain and other places that we see in the Gospels, where Jesus criticizes them because he sees what they do on the outside, but he knows their hearts. And so here's somebody who is saying something really significant. We don't know his level of understanding. We don't exactly know all that he meant or what he was even looking for as he made this declaration to Jesus. Maybe he was just looking for another rabbi to follow in a familiar sense to what was common for that day, that he was looking for a teacher to walk in his footsteps. But it seems like he's saying much more than that. It seems like he's saying something really remarkable. It's like he's saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you. I trust you. You are the Messiah. You are actually the fulfillment of all of the things that I have studied all of my life and come to understand and have been waiting for, and I believe that you are the fulfillment of that. If that is what he's saying, which it seems like he is, it, it's a remarkable statement. He was saying that Jesus is embodying everything about God that he had been taught as a teacher of religious law for all of these years and these traditions that have been carried on for so many so many centuries. And he was giving his life to it publicly in this moment. And yet, then Jesus' response is so interesting. He challenges him in a way that tests the foundation and the conviction of what he's declaring. And he says, you need to count the cost of discipleship. And you need to understand what this might mean for you. And we don't know, again, Jesus' tone. We don't get that through a text. We, we don't know what he saw in this man. We're not exactly sure even what he meant. But he says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But we do know that it is some kind of call to consider the cost of discipleship, of following Jesus into the kingdom. And it's open-ended. We actually have no idea how this man responded that's what I find so interesting so often in Scripture where we see these stories and we really don't know the outcome. We don't know 
Were these loose ends tied up? Did he follow Jesus or did he go back to his old ways? Did this throw him off or did this actually make him feel even more convinced that this was what he was to do? We don't know. We, so often we want these closed loops. We want these stories to end well. We want them to make sense. And yet Matthew doesn't seem to be as concerned with that as we might be. And so, so much of our lives are like that too, aren't they? We want to understand things more fully. We want the whole picture. We want to know kind of the end result before we commit to something. We want to tie up these loose ends and deal with these issues over here. And why does it seem that sometimes our lives are so frayed? And yet the kingdom of God doesn't seem to work that way or necessarily be as concerned with those things. And then Jesus is approached with a question about cultural expectations immediately following this teacher of the law. And we continue in verse 21. It says, Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. And you read that and you go, Okay, what is that all about? I mean, that just seems really harsh. Like here's somebody who wants to follow but saying, You know, I just need to take care of a few things at home. And if we understand that culture at that time, you know, to care for your mother and father is one of these highest commands that was a a cultural expectation and an obligation that you had to follow through on. And the burial of the dead, especially parents, superseded all other religious responsibilities or obligations in Israel. And one of the most important ways that a son would honor their father, his father, would be to make sure that there was the appropriate and proper burial and time of grieving. And yet Jesus simply says, you need to follow me now. And he requires this uh, call to follow Jesus above, and he elevates it above any kind of cultural expectations or responsibilities or allegiances. And so we hear in this text, and we feel it in our lives at times, the tension between responsibility to family and commitment to God. And again, we don't really understand all what this means about let the dead bury the dead, but we want closure again, and we don't know what this man did. We don't know where he went. Did he follow or did he not follow? We don't know. And again, in our life, we want to tie up those loose ends and clean up the messes and have things in order, and we see in our life all around us, whether it's in our parenting, our work life, our relationships, even in our own issues of faith between us and God, and we just see some of the mess sometimes. We say, Lord, would you just bring this to conclusion? Would you just bring this to some kind of closure that makes sense to me? And yet it's like Jesus just keeps inviting us to keep walking in faith, keep following. Sometimes those things don't matter quite as much as we might think they do. And oftentimes in the kingdom, it's not so much about having all of our questions answered, but maybe it's more about which are the open and unanswered questions that we're most comfortable to live with. Because the reality is is that we all live with questions. And so we have to decide which are the questions that we can actually leave unanswered and left open. And which are the ones that we have to have absolute clarity on. And yet we see through Jesus' teaching and through the kingdom uh, picture that he is describing throughout all of the Gospels, that all of life's biggest questions and most important questions, he gives very clear answers to, and he gives us all that we need. Questions around who am I, why am I here, what am I supposed to do, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ, these are all found as we place our life story into God's bigger story. So those big questions that we have, they have answers. The answers are there, they're clear. Sometimes it's the 
periphery things in our lives that we wonder about. You know, Matthew, he places this story of the storm right after the section on counting the cost of discipleship. And we so often jump into the boat of discipleship with Jesus expecting smooth sailing in one form or another. And it's all fine until somebody sideswipes you. Or as they say, everything's going good until you kind of get punched in the mouth. That's often what happens at times in our lives when storms hit and we wonder why it's so hard. But then we say, okay, but at least we're in this boat. At least we've put our lives in with Jesus. He is with us even at times if he seems like he's sleeping, like in this text. And so often our storms come in the form of our experiences even in the church, don't they? And some commentators have actually seen this ship in the storm as the ship called the church. And sometimes the cost of true discipleship is, is real and significant in such a way that, that we want to just walk away. And maybe it's not that we want to walk away from Jesus, but we just sort of want to walk away from the church in one way or another. But what we see in Jesus' kingdom is he doesn't give us that option. Because you see, the church is his bride. He gave his life for her. It's his body and his blood. And so if we come to the place of saying, well, you know what, we still love Jesus, but we kind of hate the church and we're done with it. It would kind of be like going up to someone and saying, hey, friend, you know what, I really love you. Like, you are somebody who's solid. I believe in you. I want to get to know you. But hey, just so you know, your wife, I kind of hate her. Like, I don't really connect, you know. But hey, we can be friends. It's not going to go very far. And so we don't have the option of Jesus without the church. He didn't give us that. Because this is his body. These are his people. These are the people that God called us to. And the church, even though it is oftentimes the place where sometimes our pain is, it is because of the messiness of relationship, the reality of sin and hurting people, including ourselves. And sinful and hurting people hurt people. And yet one of the costs of discipleship is that Jesus calls us to love the people that he's placed in our lives. And oftentimes we, we just sort of want to quit, don't we? With engaging with people, with maybe believing in the church because bad things happen in our life. And yet, so what do we do? We hold back. We only give part of our lives and we do it to protect ourselves. But it ends up actually working against us. Because, you see, following Jesus in the kingdom requires all of us, meaning it requires us to give all of ourselves. Because if our goal is to become like the master, Jesus, then our master gave everything and went to the cross for us. And, you know, it's only when we do so that we actually start to see Jesus for who he really is and trust him completely with our lives in a way that actually our pain starts to make sense makes me think of in John's gospel where he recorded in chapter 6 and the disciples were struggling with who Jesus was as he was teaching them about his identity and about the kingdom and many of the early disciples were falling away and they were just saying, you know what, I can't do this anymore. This doesn't make sense as Jesus was teaching about being the bread of life. And then Jesus turned to the 12 and he asked them, so are you going to leave also? And Peter seemed to speak on behalf of the others and he said, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Because you see, even 
in difficulty, even in our own doubts and struggles, there's, there's something about the words of Jesus and there's something about the person of Jesus that rings true and that is irresistible that we can't mistake for something else. And it's just real and we know it and it draws us in. And there's also those moments in our lives as we follow and walk in discipleship where we get glimpses of what the kingdom is about and what Jesus intended. And we experience things in such a way that we go, that was so real and unmistakable. We experience the power of his spirit. We experience uh, an expression of forgiveness. We experience freedom in our lives in one way or another. We experience hope. We experience the ministry of reconciliation. We experience new life in dead things in one form or another. And we see it for what it is. And it's this kingdom that Jesus is inviting us to. And you know, that's why... As we talk in this church about discipleship, one of the steps that we refer to is this idea that we need to experience and model the love of Jesus. Because the reality is, is that unless we experience the love of Jesus ourselves and actually internalize that and have experienced the extravagant love of our Heavenly Father, of the Son and the Holy Spirit, we have nothing actually to offer the world. And so we need to experience it first and foremost for us, this freedom this joy, and to have this personal encounter with Jesus in that way. It helps us to walk through pain and suffering and helps us to experience a unique kind of joy in the cost of discipleship. Well, if you flip over to Matthew chapter 10, there's another section of verse 21 to the end of that chapter that's a, a long, difficult passage about the cost of discipleship. We won't go through it all, but I'll touch on a few things. Jesus is pointing to this uh, mission-driven discipleship. He's talking about discipleship that is joining him in his mission. He says it's not going to be easy. And this idea that every one of us is called to be a missionary. Every one of us is called to God's mission. Not all of us go overseas. Some of us are called to do that right here at home. But there's a cost and a call to it. So in chapter 10, verse 21, it says this, A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child, and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all nations will hate you because you're my followers. Wow, those are hard words. In some ways, as I was reading that, I was thinking it sounds like some of the fragmented church and the polarizing ideology that we sometimes see in this age of COVID that kind of swirls around us at times and the divisions and the things that are happening even within families at times. And he says in verse 28, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So Jesus is saying, you know, you shouldn't be actually so concerned with your physical well-being or your physical safety, but what is more important is what is the condition of your soul. I mean, this is what really matters. And everything else is secondary. He goes on and says in verse 34, it gets in some ways even harder. He says, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Wow. You know, so much of this section in Matthew, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is coming ahead for him, first of all, and what he will experience going to the cross, but also what they will experience 
as they embark on this kingdom calling. That they will be treated as he was treated, and they will be treated just like the prophets of old were treated. There will be division, they will be rejected, they will be killed by their own people. But to realize that that actually will not indicate failure, but that it actually will indicate faithfulness. So Jesus was pointing to this cost of discipleship. And he says to them, don't be afraid of those who threaten you. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Anyone who loves their mother or father more than me is not worthy. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And he's pointing over and over to faithfulness in difficult times is the call in this kingdom. You know, Jesus had had this certainty that persecution and hardship was going to come alongside of faithful obedience. And that there was consequences of falling away, but also great words of encouragement. He says they have nothing to be ashamed of because they have nothing to hide. He points out how they have nothing to fear because God is on their side. He points out that if they die, that then he, Jesus, will be their advocate in heaven. That if their families abandon them, they will be welcome into Jesus' household. That whatever they lose for Jesus' sake will be restored in the end. And in the end, both they and the prophets and all those who have given so much will receive a great reward. You know, I think of Jesus when he was in the garden, as recorded in John's Gospel in chapter 17, and he was praying to his heavenly Father. And he had the cross in front of him, and he knew what was coming. And he was crying out to his Father, and he was saying, Lord, I've been faithful, and I want you to be glorified. And he says in verse 4 to 5 of John 17, he says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory that we shared before the world began. And I just think of that remarkable picture of Jesus and his faithful walk of obedience to the Father because he trusted his heavenly Father right to the end. And it's an invitation and a call that comes for each one of us. I want to invite the worship team if they would come up at this time and they're going to lead us in a song for a minute about the Father's love for us. And I would encourage us, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer first of all. So as we pray that you would just allow the Spirit of God to work in your life and as you sing this song later that you would allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. I don't know what your particular cost of discipleship is. I think for each one of us it's very different. And if we take time to kind of reflect and think about it, maybe for some of us it's hard to articulate. For others it comes easier. For others it's more obvious. When I think of some of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, when they follow Jesus, they literally do give up their families, as is talked about in these texts here, and their families abandon them and walk away from them. And for others, it's a call to go somewhere and give up what is familiar and safe and comfortable. For others, it's a call to stay and be immersed and involved in where God has placed them. I don't know what it is for you, but for each one of it is different. I know for me, as I think about my own call into pastoral ministry, which I went into with much resistance, and I think sometimes it's ironic, but it's also part of, it's one aspect of the cost for me, is that God continually calls me into public places to lead in public things when I'm an introvert by nature, and I would love to just shrink back and not lead anymore. And yet God calls me to lead and to serve and to be living in more of a fishbowl than I would ever care to do. But that's one of the aspects of a cost. What is it for you? 
I know this, uh, just this week, uh, Randy Friesen, many of you know, he finished 31 years of leading in an organization called Multiply, our MB Mission uh, agency. And uh, one of the things I loved about, love about Randy's call continually is the call to the cost of discipleship, as he has done that uh, to men and women around the world and to so many of us. And it's a call that Jesus gives here in so many different ways that we are to acknowledge this cost and embrace this cost, but we can only do so if we really know and encounter the love of Jesus. So would you pray with me? So Lord, I I pray first of all uh, for somebody maybe here who is listening today who has not yet decided to follow you, maybe who doesn't know you yet or is skeptical about faith or cynical about the church. I, I pray that they would know a few things, Lord. I pray that they would know from this text and from what you said here today that choosing to follow Jesus doesn't necessarily mean life is easier, but that if we are willing to live a faithful life in obedience to Jesus, that it not only could become harder than anything that we could imagine, but it could also be more incredible and rewarding than anything we could hope for. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are still wondering and who those who struggle in one way to just trust you, even for the first time, that they would see and know the intimate love of the Heavenly Father, and that they would trust your authority and your work on the cross, and that you would help them to see, even in small ways, that a life of obedience to you can be more rewarding, more life-giving, more hope-filled, more purposeful, more free than they could ever imagine. And Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would help us to live in the power of the resurrection. That you would help us to embrace whatever call or cost of discipleship that you have given to us, Lord. And God, I know that in our human weakness, we can't do that by just mustering up strength or conviction or determination. That 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 will falter very quickly. And God, we might declare things too quickly at times. And we might make decisions that are rash and sort of impulsive. But God, I pray that you would overwhelm us with the extravagant love of the Father. Because it's only out of that... Help us to walk in faith, Lord. Show us today. Show us even more your love for us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we may be called children of God. For that is what we are. 
God, when we know that. When we experience that, we know it to the core of our being. Any cost just fades away. Help us to follow you because you were faithful to the cross. Help us to know today the incredible love of our Heavenly Father. We praise you.